enjoy filling out uh, the handout, uh, you can grab your pen now. As I thought about how I wanted to open up this message, I thought uh, it would be fun if we did a uh, riddle. And if you like riddles, you can smile at me. And if you don't like riddles, you can smile at me too, because it's the Christian thing to do. (laughs) And uh, here's the very first riddle, all right? It's, I am a man, but will never have a wife. I was given a body, but never life. I was given a mouth, but never breath. Water brings me life, and the sun brings me death. And just yell out what it is. A snowman. Andre, you are brilliant. Since we had so much fun with that one, we'll do one last one. All right, here's the next one. Uh, Riddle answer, snowman. All right. I can sizzle like bacon. I am made with an egg. I have plenty of backbone, but not one leg. I peel layers like onions, but still remain whole. I can be long like a flagpole, but fit, like, fit in a hole. What is it? A snake. You guys are good. And the reason I wanted to open up with a riddle, because uh, I wanted to make this clear, there's one thing that's not a riddle this morning. There's one thing we can bank on for sure, and that is God is here. But so often we come to church just out of routine. It's just what we do. We do it Sunday after Sunday, and we kind of forget God's here. We kind of forget about the holiness of God. We miss His glory, and we're no longer stunned, and we're not penetrated by His grace. And what I want for this morning, especially as we look at the topic of a deceived soul, is that every person's here, and we're prepared, we're anxiously anticipating our heart's being changed. I love Chris's, Chris's testimony as he was up here. And the lady's testimony was, I've done a 180. She saw it in her mom, and she wanted it for herself. And I hope that that's your prayer this morning. We allow God to seek out our hearts. We hide nothing from him. How silly is this? I have, you guys know I have three young children, and even when they were younger, I'd go up to their rooms, and it'd be bedtime, and We'll just pick on Johnny. And Johnny would hide, and he'd hide underneath his desk. The only problem was underneath his desk wasn't big enough for him, so his legs would be hanging out, and his body would be hanging out. I could uh, clearly see him. What would I do? I'd go into the room, what most fathers would do, and I'd look behind the curtain and be like, Johnny's not there. I'd look under his bed and be like, Johnny's not there. Where's Johnny? And I'd be like, oh, you're underneath your desk. But here's the deal. God doesn't treat our sin that way. God's not going to kind of look in your heart and be like, where is it? I don't see it. He's going to be like that sin, and it's killing your soul. It's rotting your soul out. And and as we look at this idea of a deceived soul or a seduced soul, there's nothing more than Satan would want you to do and just to come here and just be like, oh, hum, oh, hum, and to leave with the same heart that you came and with, I have a couple pieces of scripture just kind of to set our heart for worship. And I'm just going to read through, probably not all of them, I'll just read through the first three. And just as I read them, they're not on your notes. I didn't have room in your notes. You can just track down with me uh, as they're behind me on the screen. In Psalms 8 1, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. He's a glorious God. 
He is worthy of our worship. Have we come with a heart of worship? Psalm 29, 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in His holy array or display. And then finally, Psalm 95, before I pray, Come, let us worship and bow down. Are we humbled before God this morning? Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Let's pray. Dear God, as I have the privilege of teaching your word, I pray for myself first. Help me to speak clearly and boldly the scripture that you've laid on my heart. Help the person here that's just tired or maybe even the person here that doesn't want to be here. Help them see their need for a Savior. God, and I pray for the rest of us, those of us that have been coming to church week after week, year after year, decade after decade. Help us to just be ready to be at all just in your greatness. And I just pray that every one of us leaves this room with with a heart that's been searched out and a heart that is pure and without idols before God. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to open up uh, with a story, and the story is about a gentleman that lives in Oklahoma City. And I'm not real familiar with Oklahoma City. I don't know that I've ever been there, but apparently it's just filled with venomous snakes. This guy's lived there this whole life. He's aware of that, and uh, he's in his house, and he's got a little two-year-old there, and his name's Bookie, and Bookie's running around, and he kind of goes out into the sunroom, no big deal. It's screened in. There's a door there. And he gets really fascinated with something. He gets super excited. And he's captivated. And the father notices this. So he goes out to the sunroom where the boy's just ooing and on. And he notices about five feet from him is a timberback rattlesnake all curled up, ready to strike. The father's familiar with snakes, but he's never had one in his house. And he does exactly what you or I would do. He picks up his son and puts him to safety. And then calls his wife. (laughs) He does not do that. He gets a shovel, and he's killed plenty of these snakes, and he cuts its head off. And he did say he did this. He said he took a picture of it, put it on its Facebook account, said all the tech-savvy snakes would know not to mess with his family. But my question for you guys this morning is how are you handling the rattlesnakes in your life? Are you kind of like little bookie and you're just playing with it? You're ooing all you're fascinating, fascinated by it? Are you willing to do like the father did and kill it, tear it down, decapitate it so it cannot strike? One of the first verses I want to look at, and it's at the very top of your notes, and I'm going to ask you to participate with me. I'm going to ask you to read that underlined section when I get there. Because this is what we've been called to as believers in Christ. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. it says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the what? Simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. God's called us to something. He's like, I want you to be fully devoted to me. I don't want anything else in your heart. I want to be number one. And one thing we can say about the Christian life is it's not complicated. How can I say that? Because the Bible says it's simple. It's pure. Just be fully devoted to me. But anyone that's been a Christian for longer than a week knows that that's hard. It's simple. But it's challenging because we have flesh and we have these things that come into our life to seduce and deceive our soul. And the Bible calls them idols. And the Bible says, tear them down. 
You see Satan here in the next verse behind me and also on your notes. It says, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The title of this message is The Deceived Soul. Who's the deceiver? It's Satan. What will he use to deceive us? Just about anything. And the question for us this morning, are we going to be on guard against Satan in his deception? Are we settling for or even pursuing things that are ultimately dangerous to our soul? C.S. Lewis wrote a book, and the name of the book is The Screwtape Letters. And there's one section in the book that I really like. And it's a section in the book where one demon's talking to another demon. And the demons are strategizing how they can best seduce the soul. And I want you to listen to what, how they talk. And again, demon to demon. And at the conclusion, they're like, it's not the big thing that's going to destroy the soul. So like, be very sly. Do the little thing. Deceptive. Be cunning and devious. It reads this way. The one demon tells the other demon, you will say that these are very small sins and doubtless. Like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. Of course, the enemy here is God as their demons. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that they are cumulative in effect is to keep the man away from the light. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. Satan will do anything to deceive our soul, and especially for the person here, the believer in Christ. He's going to use any strategy, no matter how sly. You'll notice that the objective on your notes, I have the objective, I have it bold, I don't want us to miss it. The objective is to identify and tear down the idols that are seducing our soul. Right underneath the objective, I have Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 and 4. It reads this way. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above or on earth, beneath or in the waters below. I hope someone's here like, I've heard that before. And I hope you have. It's the first of the Ten Commandments. Some of the other t- commandments are, don't lie, don't steal, don't covet, honor your mother and father. But the very first one is, don't have any other gods before me. I want to be first. And there's something to say about firsts. I remember when Missy and I uh, gave birth to Caroline, and the ladies are quick to pick up. You, you had nothing to do with that. <laughs> the guys are like, yeah. And in fact, Alana, who is uh, the seven, picked up on the fact that men have very little to do uh, with the birthing process just yesterday at lunch. It's amazing, the timing. She goes, uh, girls are better than boys. Girls can have babies. And uh, Missy, of course, being incredibly humble, is like, well, your dad had something to do with that. And then she's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm like, yeah, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I wished you were there because Missy handled it, you know. She's like, well, 
And we're going through Genesis in our devotion. She says, you know, on Noah's ark, you have the male and the female. You notice God, when he loaded the ark, there's always two, a male and a female. And she's like, so? And I'm like, so? <laughs> What's the point? But we're not going to get sidetracked on that. But I will tell you, I will tell you, if you have any advice for us how to handle that question, we'll be out in the back. But uh, here's the deal. I remember when Caroline was being born, and, and of course, our first child, and as she came out, she was blue. And I seemed to be the only one that was concerned. The doctor wasn't concerned. The nurse wasn't concerned. I'm like, she's blue! And no one cared. I'm like, she's a Smurf! And still, no reaction. And then they kind of were like, just shut up! It hasn't breathed yet. It hasn't oxygenated its blood. She hasn't brought the oxygen into blood, and when she does, in time, she'll get the nice pinkish skin that you're used to. And I'll never forget that. It's the first. And when William was born just about a month ago, same thing. And if I were to ask you to help me out with some first and just yell out, who is the first U.S. president? It is George. All right, how about this one? Who here can tell me the eighth president? Anyone? Mark Buren, John, that doesn't help this message at all. But uh, All right, the first black baseball player to ever play in the modern era bat- baseball is Jackie Robinson. The kids know that. If I were to ask you who's the 40th African-American or black baseball player, we'd probably struggle on that. First person to walk on the moon is Neil Armstrong. I tried to, there's 12 people that walked on the moon. I tried to find the sixth, and even Google's like, who cares? He's the sixth. <laughs> And I think it's not an accident, and listen to this, it's not an accident that God's very first command, the very first one, he's like, have no idols before me. That is so incredibly important to God. He's like, I want to be first and in nothing else in your heart. In fact, if we look at Exodus 23, again, and read it with me on your notes, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of what? What's that word? Anything. He's like, I don't want anything. Nothing. No, nothing. No, nothing should be more important than God. But here's the question for every person in here. How many of us live our lives like that? I mean, honestly, what if you were to ask my kids and be like, Hey, uh, Caroline, what's the most important thing to your dad? What would they say? How about if someone took a survey at the people that you work with? And they're like, hey, uh, I know John was a teacher. and go into my, what, What's the most important thing to John? What would, they, would they say fishing? Nothing wrong with fishing, but God's like, don't have anything before me. What if they said his wife? And it's great to lift your wife up, but God's like, Nothing! No, nothing before. And yet, how many of us, if we were to survey our life, could say that that's true of us? But yet, God's like, that's the first thing. Out of all the commandments, that's the first one I want to draw your attention to. A great question for us to ask is, well, why is this so important to God? Why does God make such a big deal about this? And it's for this reason. God knows our souls are incredibly vulnerable to the seduction of idols. God knows it's so easy for us to get waylaid, sidetracked, diverted from that which is truly important. And he knows that only God himself can satisfy the soul. I mentioned about Oklahoma City and 
the fact that there's venomous snakes there. I'm just going to list some of the venomous snakes that are in Oklahoma City. There's copperheads, there's timber rattlesnakes, there's western diamondback rattlesnakes, there's western pygmy rattlesnakes, there's prairie rattlesnakes, western cottonmouths, and I could just go on and on. And when I was looking that up, checking out the story that I opened up with about the boy and the rattlesnake in the house, they said there's so many rattlesnakes in Oklahoma that in their, in their state game land, they cut paths. They cut these big, wide paths, and they cut the grass really low, and then there's signs, and the signs say, stay on the paths, snakes are everywhere. You will get bit. Don't get off the path. And I'm sure someone's gotten off the path, and I'm sure they've gotten bit. And just like us as believers, God's like, there's one thing I want to draw to your attention. Place nothing above me. And when we do, when we start playing with that snake, when we're seduced, and then we get bit, what do we do? We're like, why me? Why, God, did you allow this to happen to me? And God's like, get back on the path. And we're still seduced and drawn, just like little Bookie, into the, into the temptation of the snake. I love Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. It's the second verse uh, in your, the second verse under the objective in your notes, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. Some background first. And I learned this this week. I don't know how many of you know this. Ezekiel uh, is a prophet, and the name Ezekiel means God will strengthen. And someone here needs their heart, their soul strengthened. And that's Ezekiel. That, that's, why, that, that's why God put Ezekiel on the planet, to strengthen our hearts. Judah is, is the is the people that uh, Ezekiel is prophet to. And Judah's in bondage to Babylon. And Judah's in bondage, in bondage to Babylon because they got off the path. And Ezekiel's, get back on the path, get back on the path. But they refused to get back on the path. And he rose up these snakes. And the snakes were the Babylonians. They took them into captivity. And this is what Ezekiel tells God's chosen people. He's like, repent. Change direction and repent. That's the message. And then here's the good news. If repentance takes place, look at Ezekiel 36, verse 25. It says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Look up here. God's like, get back on the path. And if you get back on the path, I'm so powerful. I'm so holy. I'm the king of kings. I'll just sprinkle some clean water on you and you'll be made clean. I could take this group outside, bring a fire truck, take the hose and hose you down, and the only thing you'd be is wet. God says, just man, come into my presence. Let me sprinkle this clean water on you, and you'll be made clean. Let's keep reading. It says, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your what? Idols. Someone here has had an idol or a burden that's just been tearing their soul apart just for as long as they can remember. And you've tried to tear it down yourself. You've tried to decapitate it. And every time it keeps coming back, give it to God. He's like, I'll cleanse you from all filthiness. I will destroy that idol. Verse 26, he says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Someone here just needs a whole heart transplant. You filled it with so much stuff and you're so unsatisfied. And God's like, man, just give it to me. 
man, I'll just give you a brand new heart and a brand new spirit. And that brings joy to someone's heart here, someone's soul here, that's like a rock. And that's what he says here. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That is good news to a hurting people. That's good news to me. And I hope that's good news to you. He's like, bring your burden to me. I'm the only one that can handle it. Point number one in our notes as we've made our way there now, it's our souls are vulnerable to to the seduction of idols. Our souls are vulnerable to the seduction of idols. The verse that I have for that uh, point it comes from the parable of the sower of the seeds. And I'm not going to get caught up in the whole parable. You guys have heard sermons preached on that parable where the farmer cascades out seeds. Some falls beside the road. Some falls on the rocky ground. And some falls amongst the thorns. I'm going to just zero in on the seed that falls amongst the thorns. Because I think you and I can relate to that part of the parable. It says this in Mark chapter 418, right in the center of your page. It says, and others are the ones whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. That's you and me. We get to hear the word. We're studying the word. You're hearing the word this morning. Hopefully you're engaged in services on Wednesday night and Sunday night. And you're studying God's word yourself. You're hearing the word. But then what happens? It says, but the worries of the word and the deceitfulness of riches. And here it is for this lesson. And the desire for other things. That's idols. What's it say? It says it enters in and chokes the word. And it becomes unfruitful. Man, there's a lot of things that I don't want to be. And at the top of the list is unfruitful. It kind of reminds me with all this snow that we've gotten. And and, uh, some branches, uh, we see them all over are snapped and they're on the ground. Well, when springtime comes, those branches are going to be unfruitful. They've been severed from the vine or the trunk of the tree. Other branches, if you take notice, they're kind of heavy under the snow and the burden was too much and they snapped, but they're still just slightly connected to the vine. One of the sad part about those branches, they still may produce fruit But the fruit is going to be dwarfed. It's going to be small. It's going to be useless. And I know there's someone here that either has been snapped, (laughs) feels like they've been snapped from the vine, or maybe you're just barely hanging on. You're like, I feel so unfruitful, so useless for the kingdom of God. Check the idols in your heart. Have you been deceived? Have you been waylaid? Has your heart your soul been seduced. The one thing about a seduced heart is it's hard to identify. Easy to see in others, hard to see in ourselves. Here's point number two. You can write this down in your notes. Idols cannot satisfy the soul. They simply cannot. They are counterfeits. A counterfeit can never satisfy. A fake bill, a fake money can never pay the bill. And idols cannot satisfy the soul. Psalm 107.9 says, For he, that's God, has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul. God is filled with what is good. 
I used to play tennis, and uh, I played a lot of tennis, and there was always those kids at the park that would get a brand-new racket, and they would hit the ball so hard and so straight and so well till the next week came, and they'd have a bad game, a bad day, or a bad week. So what would they do? They'd go buy a new racket. And with the new racket, man, their game would turn around for a day or two or a week, and then they'd go back. They'd revert back to who they truly were. So they'd buy another racket. And the cycle would continue, and they'd have a, a tennis bag filled with rackets, but they would have never dealt with the problem, the issue, and that is what kind of tennis player they really are. And there's someone here that's tried a thousand different things, and you put a thousand things in your soul, and it may satisfy you temporarily, but the problem with temporary satisfaction is it's temporary. And God's the only one that can satisfy the soul. You're like, why? Well, we're going to look at that. We're created for worship. Every person here was created for worship of a holy and perfect God. And anything we put into our soul is counterfeit or temporary, and it cannot satisfy. Let's go to point number three, since I've already mentioned that. And point number three is this. Our souls were created to worship the one true living God. I was created for worship. You were created for worship. The Bible makes that so clear. Psalm 103, verse 1 to 5 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that, is, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your, your youth is renewed like an eagle. David is worshiping the Lord with all of his soul. And here's a fact you can take to the bank. If you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something. I'm going to draw this very quickly and Anyone that knows me knows I'm not an artist. This is going to represent our heart, the circle here, our, our soul, if you will. I'm going to draw a chair here, and that's going to be the throne of our soul. And this is what I struggle with. So often I'll put myself on the throne of my heart or the throne of my soul. And if I'm sitting there, I promise you, God's not going to share the seat with me. He's like, I want to be number one, and I'm not going to share it with you or anything else. Someone else here is struggling with money. That's at the throne of your soul. It's what you think about. It's what you talk about. It's what you dream about. This was mentioned to me just this morning after the 8 o'clock service, and maybe work. And John, I appreciate it, and I appreciate the encouragement. Like, man, work has been my idol. And I don't know what your idol is, and I hope that God and the Holy Spirit speaking to you, but so very clearly on the throne of your soul, the throne of your heart, God is like, I want Christ front and center there, and I don't want it shared with anything. And that's it. And if Jesus Christ isn't at the front or on the throne of your soul, you have a problem because you put a counterfeit there, and it cannot satisfy there's only one thing that will bring satisfaction to the soul, and that is God himself, Jesus Christ, his son. I like Colossians 3, verse 5. It's the last verse on the front of your notes. Like, well, what do I do if I know I have a counterfeit there? The Bible is pretty clear. Look at Colossians 3, 5. It says, put to 
death. Nowhere in Scripture does it say manage or to corral. It doesn't say to just direct it over here to this part of your heart. He's like, kill it. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desire, and greed. And then he says, which is idolatry. Uh, We're going to flip over our notes now, and we're going to quickly look at three steps to dethrone the idols that seduce our soul. Here's step number one. You can write this down. Identify the idol of our soul. It's so obvious, sometimes we miss it. Identify it. I mentioned earlier, it's so easy to identify idols in your life. And I heard a missionary tell a story when he was in a foreign land. We'll say PNG, I I don't remember. Papua New Guinea, and there's a tribal woman there, and she's in her tribal dress, and she's doing a tribal chant, and she's got this chicken, and she's cut it wide open, and its innards are spread all over the place, and she's arranging the innards of the chicken in a specific order, thinking that's going to help her, her deceased relatives. She doesn't do it to one chicken. She's just chicken after chicken after chicken, blood everywhere. And what's he say? And what silly idol worship. Until he comes back to America and he examines his own life and his own heart and his own soul. And by God's grace, he's honest with himself. He's like, what silly idols I've placed in my heart that are seducing my soul from the one true God. Someone here is like, John, there's so many of them. Okay, list them and deal with them. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4 And I really want us to zero in. I know you're getting tired and it's late in the message, but stick with me on this verse, Psalm 24, verse 3. It says, who may ascend the the hill of the Lord? It's a question. And the question is, who can climb the hill to the Lord? Why? So they can be close to God. I want to be close to God. Me, who will ascend? I, I want to. I want to be in close proximity to God. I want to bask in His glory and in His presence. And then there's another question. Who may stand in his holy place? And then look what it says. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol, or swear by what is false. How important is this to God? Well, everyone worships something other than God. Who cares if people around me say I worship this? God's like, I want to be number one. I don't even want there to be a close second, third, or fourth. You want to ascend the hill into my presence? Then slay the idols in your soul. You want to stand in my glory? Then let's do some massive work in the heart of who you are. David's heart cries, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. What is it that our heart cries for? And if it's to seek God, if it's to be in his proximity, to bask in his glory, to be stunned by his grace, if that's your heart cry, then let's pull out the scalpel and let's start dealing with the idols in our life. Just real quickly, because I'm going to list four things that will help us identify idols in our life. I've already mentioned it's hard to examine our own hearts. I have the privilege of studying this and thinking about it for weeks. You get it all in a half hour to 40 minutes. 
the Lord's been dealing with me on this issue, especially with these sermons that I preach, whether it's in, in this service or the Good News service or whether it's Wednesday night if you come to my Wednesday night class or even I do release time while Missy's out uh, on paternity leave and I'm speaking to the kids. You want to know what one of my first thoughts are? Will they like the lesson? Maybe you get, will you guys like the lesson or will you be bored? With the kids, will they like the lesson? And, and, and that's a really good thing to ask because I want you to like the lesson. The problem becomes when I start thinking about that more than, will God like the lesson? <laughs> will God be pleased with the lesson? Will God be bored with the lesson? See, if I put that first, And make that the cry of my heart and be like, God, I want you to be pleased with this teaching, whatever avenue it is. And then maybe way down here is, will this engage them in an appropriate manner? If I flip that, I got a problem. And that's going to tear my soul. That will never, ever, ever satisfy me. Because my soul was created not for the worship of you or, or the release time kids or the group that I get to teach on Wednesday night. Is created for the worship of the one true God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's the only one that can satisfy my soul. Here's four things that will help us identify idols in our life very quickly. What is it that you spend your time on? Someone's like, so if I go to a baseball game, is that an idol? No. But if that's all you ever do and you spend no time with God, you might have a problem. Here's the second, money. Money's so objective. If I spend money on bubble gum after the service, am I worshiping gum? No. That's all. If I go to Red Lobster, no. It's not an idol unless that's all you spend your money on. And no money goes to God. It's not even a thought to invest in God's kingdom. Conversation, what is it that you talk about? Do you ever talk about God? If you never talk about God and you always talk about this other thing, you might have a problem. And then finally, and this is the most easiest, if there's something in your life that must be done in secret and you're hiding from everyone else, you can be pretty sure that's probably an idol and you should cut that out of your heart, out of your soul. Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves. And that's all I'm encouraging you to do. Whether you use this strategy or some other, examine yourself. Here's the second thing in our three steps to dethrone the idols that seduce our soul. Step number two. It's been the theme of this message, and it's now we get to write it down. Tear down the idol. Tear it down. Kill it. Get it out of there. Any means possible. I already mentioned this. I'll say it again. In Scripture, nowhere does it cost to manage, control, or redirect our idols. Tear it down. Put it to death. In Judges chapter 6, verse 25, God tells Gideon, Tear down your father's idols to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Gideon had no tolerance for idols in his life because God had no tolerance for idols in his life. And then in the final point I have as I bring this to a close, step number three is to fill our souls with God. Fill our souls with God. Tear down the idols and fill it with God. Psalm 84.2 says, My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Psalm 107.9, For he has satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. And finally, Psalm 42.1, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants.
it for you? Is that the cry of your soul? If it's not, come before the spring of an almighty, holy, and perfect God. Let him sprinkle your heart. Let him give you a new heart, a new soul. Replace the one of rock and give you one that is moldable and teachable. I hope that's your prayer, and I hope that's something we take seriously as we get caught up in the busyness of life as we leave the sanctuary. Let's stand as I close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. It's so clear. We don't have to guess. It's the simplicity of the gospel. You've called us to put you first. It's not complicated, but it's certainly not easy. Help us to just kill the flesh in us. Help us to be courageous with the idols that you've helped us identify even this morning. And help us slay them. Help us to put them to death so that you can reign first. And and we can maybe for the first time in a really long time have a fully satisfied soul. Because it's a soul that's resting on Christ alone. Your mighty work on the cross. The only one that can bring us into relationship with a perfect and holy God. I pray that that's uh, something every person here has done. And let's replace Christ the first in our life. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.